This is OTR-FM, part of the IOM Radio Network. Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgebeer. Hello, and with me this week to share the stories behind the 10 books that inspired her the most on her life journey is professional medical intuitive wellness coach and author, Wendy Coulter, whose trailblazing research in medical intuition has been published in the peer-reviewed journal of alternative and complementary medicine and global advances in health and medicine. Wendy is the founder CEO of the Practical Path Inc, which offers intuitive development programs to clinical health professionals complementary and alternative practitioners and the public. She's an invited speaker and instructor at some of the premier integrative health centers in the US and her accredited certification program, Medical Intuitive Training, has been pivotal in helping holistic health professionals from every discipline develop and optimize their inherent intuition. She's also the author of a truly important and eye-opening new book called Essentials of Medical Intuition, A Visionary Path to Wellness. Wendy Coulter, welcome. Sandy, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's good to have you, Wendy. Um, tell me about your relationship with books and the role that they have played in your life. Well, I think uh, books, particularly spiritual books, have been pivotal in my spiritual development and it was such a joy to create this list for you because it was a really fun walk down memory lane for me <laughs> about how these books have really shaped my spiritual development how they've opened my mind uh, and it was just a delight was it difficult to just come up with 10 well, <laughs> yes, it was. Diff I'm sure everybody says this. It was definitely difficult to come up with 10 because mm. so many books are so pivotal. Um, you know, this kind of education is not necessarily easily gotten. <laughs> and people do end up reading a lot of books because that's where the education is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. The hardest part is which one am I going to pick? And um, usually I tell people that, you know, the ones that you really feel moved you along on your journey. Yes. Um, yeah. So let's start with your list and opening your list is, my God, is this a classic? And it shows up again and again and again, as it should. And it is Ram Dass's Be Here Now, which was published in 1971. 
Yes, yes, yes. I would call this probably the first spiritual book I ever delved into as a kid. <laughs> and uh, as a kid, uh, it was on my parents' shelf mm -hmm. and I saw it and I grabbed it and I was just fascinated by it. Now, Ram Das, of course, was a very wonderful Buddhist spiritual teacher. And his book, Be Here Now, is just fun. It's full of pictures. It's full of anecdotes. I mean, it's just for a kid to look through it. I just thought the pictures were hilarious. And reading the material, um, you know, just kind of formed a little bit in my mind about, you know, what presence is, you know, what immediacy is, what be here now means, you know, it was just one of those fun books, a very esoteric book. And I kept that copy and I kept it until the pages fell out <laughs> and only recently, uh, you know, bought a, a new version of it. Did you read it later on properly as a grown up? I did. And actually, I went back to it again and again uh, over sort of the years uh, because it is so full of pearls of, you know, spiritual wisdom, really, and how to be present in your life and not let the cacophony of life kind of take you off track. Yeah. It's really quite a phenomenal book. Mm. Number two on your list is another classic that turns up again and again, and it is Richard Bach's Illusions. The yes. Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah, published in 1977. Don't you just love these old classics? You know, you have to go to the classics when you write a list like this because yeah. they're the ones that really formed your ideas about spirituality or and reinforced them in my case, in many, in many cases, um, and also taught us things that were really not in the public understanding the way they are now. Mm -hmm. uh, illusions is about manifestation and the law of attraction, really, among other things. And um, that I found that so fascinating, you know, when I read it years ago, because it was an idea that it, it was an idea I hadn't thought of before. You know, can we use our minds to create? Can we create a blue feather? You know? Can can we actually do this? And that was very stimulating to me as a, I think, a preteen, you know, mm. uh, and, and, you know, Jonathan Livingston Siegel mm. and all those books, you know, all the kids read. And I just thought this one really stood out, particularly because of the dream state imagery as well. A mm. lot of the characters uh, insights come through his dreams. And I thought that was really interesting. That was actually happening for me as a child. A lot of insights and intuition coming through dreams. Mm. Well, and he really was a reluctant messiah, but he had to share it, didn't he? Well, you know, you got a message, you got to share it. <laughs> Absolutely. Number three is a new one to me. Never heard of this one. And when I was looking it up, I thought, oh, this sounds very interesting. Kinship with All uh -huh. Life, J. Allen Boone, published in 1954. Now, so here's a little story. In Los Angeles, California, where I grew up, uh, there's a there was a phenomenal bookstore, a New Age. It was like Ground Central, right? It was zero, Ground Zero, I want to say, mm. for New Age in Los Angeles. And yeah, uh, as as a teenager, I got a summer job um, working in that bookstore, and it was chock a block. It was phenomenal. Uh, it, every it was built into this old house. It was and so it was like every room was a different subject. So people would literally walk through the front door into the living room where there'd be magazines and crystals and all kinds of things. And then every room had, you know, one or two different subjects. And I found this book there and I grabbed it. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and I read my, I read my rear end off, you know, everything I could read. And the owners of the 
of the uh, store were really generous with that. There are a couple of wonderful Buddhist men who just said, anyone who works here, you know, you can take a look at these books. Uh, and they were really interested in sharing that wisdom. So I read so much, but this book really stood out because it talked about, well, what we now call animal communication. But this was a gentleman in the 30s who was an animal wrangler, I believe, for film and television. I think he worked with some of the famous animals in movies, right? I guess it would be not television at the time, but film. Mm -hmm. And he developed this intuitive connection with this German Shepherd dog. And he writes about it, and it is phenomenal. And then he talks about all these other animals that he connected with using these same kinds of intuitive skills. And I was just blown away by that partly because I had a dog at the time and he's one of my most wonderful spiritual mentors. <laughs> and I started using these techniques with my dog and we developed this incredible intuitive relationship that people were amazed at. I used to be able to stand in one room and with my mind, with sending information, I'd say, okay, come and come and sit and then lie down with not saying any words. And he'd come and sit and he'd lie down, you know, and we could do all that, you know, all day long. and that was part of that animal communication that uh, this book really presented. Apparently he talks about um, speaking with Strong Heart, the actor dog, yes. and Freddie the Fly. Freddie the Fly. That was mind-blowing, wasn't it? Yeah. He, he had an intuitive connection with the fly and got it to land on his finger on demand, you know, on request, I should say. That kind of... I mean, there's a book I really wanted to put in, which I didn't have room for, which was the Findhorn book about the Vedas, because it was very mm. similar, where you communicate with the animal world and request, you know, lovingly, uh, that they don't eat your cabbage or your, you know, carrots or something. <laughs> and he was doing that with the fly. He was having this wonderful relationship. I've, I've tried it with flies, but I haven't had much success yet. Sometimes they don't listen. <laughs> no, sometimes they don't. Um, now, you're talking about the Bodhi tree, of course, aren't you? Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, did I not say that? Oh, I'm sorry. No, the no. Bodhi tree bookstore, yeah. which unfortunately is no longer in I Los Angeles. they moved it. Recently. They moved it, and I, I'm, it, it went to an online store fairly, certainly over um, COVID. And so it became, you know unfortunately not available in brick and mortar, which it was such an important place to be oh, um, through the 80s, 90s, you know, on. And, and beyond. And, and beyond. beyond. It was I remember a, seeing so many teachers speaking there. Yeah, I mm -hmm. meant to say that earlier. I'm sorry I didn't. But yeah, the Bodhi tree is classic. And I was very lucky to have worked there. And I had many spiritual experiences there. Mm. And of course, growing up in um, California, you also had the good fortune to meet the author of your next book, which most people will gasp over, and that is Louise Hay. Yes, Louise, dear Louise. Um, mm. The book that I chose for her was actually not even a book yet, and I don't think you can find the visual anywhere. Uh, it's Heal Your Body. Now, she had, um, before she published that book, there was a little blue pamphlet with some, not all, of the information in that book that was circulating amongst the spiritual community in LA. And I, I got one and I read it and it blew my mind. I mean, now we know about mind-body, right? But she was such a pioneer of this thought. And her own experience with her own healing led her to these, you know, um, spiritual 
awarenesses of where a physical manifestation might have an energetic or emotional root. Such powerful work, really. And uh, if you want me to tell the story of how I yes, got to meet a wonderful person, um, a dear friend of mine was one of her assistants. And um, he said to me, Wendy, you've got to, this was the mid 80s, he said, Wendy, you've got to come here and come to these um, living, in her living room, she's having these meetings. And um, you got to see this because he knew I was interested in all the spiritual stuff. <laughs> and I came down. Um, and this was when she was working with the AIDS community in Los Angeles. So it was a room full, about 25 or so people, mostly young men, mostly gay men. And um, she would give a talk and then she'd bring out all the crystals and gongs and things. And someone would volunteer for a healing. Now, I'd never done healing work before in my life. I'd read about it, but I didn't know anything about it. And she'd say, OK, just put your hands out or just use your intention to send healing energy to this person. And we did that. And it was like, woo, you know, you could feel the energy in the room. You could feel it coming towards whoever was volunteering for a healing. It was just a whole other world opened up, really, for me. And I was very grateful to have been a part of that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I imagine at the time it was amazing. But looking back on it, you know, you realize how amazing it was. It really was. And yeah. really, shortly after that, she became this, you know, juggernaut of you know publishing uh, mm -hmm. maven whatever you want to call it an empire which has really changed the world when you look at louise hay and the work she's done and you kind of step back from it um, she brought more spiritual mind body whatever you want to call it biofield authors to the public awareness i mean world awareness as we all know than anyone else single-handedly i'm so well i'm sure she had help but this was her idea yeah. Should we really owe her a huge debt of gratitude? Indeed. Yeah. Book number five, another healing book um, by another well-known person, Deepak Chopra, Quantum yeah. Healing, Exploring yeah. the Frontiers of Mind-Body Medicine, published in 1989. Well, this book kind of changed my life in many ways. It's a wonderful story uh, he tells about how he came as an MD, uh, medically tra conventionally trained doctor and also Ayurvedically trained, trained. I think that might have been later, but he, how he came to mind-body awareness and what he started working with his patients on how to use their minds to heal their bodies. And he writes about it in such beautiful way. And, you know, he's a real scientist with all of this. You know, he explored it, he practiced it, he tried it, he talks about anecdotal stories about his patients healing. And my story with this is when I read the book, not long after I read the book, um, I my body developed a little uh, benign tumor. And I remember, I'll never forget this, going to my doctor's office and saying, that she, you know, she can examine me. She said, okay, it's dysplasia. It's not, you know, it's like, just abnormally kind of cells, but not not cancerous. She said, let's let's remove them and let's remove the tumor anyway. And she gave me this two week window uh, to, you know, before the surgery. And I remember sitting in her office going, you know, I just read this amazing book about this doctor who's helped his patients shrink their tumors by using their minds. And, you know, she looked at me like, you know how dogs do that thing where they're like, you know, they're like tilting, they're like, what are you, huh? She gave me that look, it was hilarious. And I think she said something like, you know, it probably won't hurt you. <laughs> and in that two-week stretch, um, I was doing transcendental meditation at the time, if I can recall. And I, after my TM 
session every day, I would just imagine what Deepak Chopra had described in his book, where you use a visualization of any kind, you know, certain, he had, I think he had people using blow it away, make, turn it into ash and have it blow away. Well, I picked <laughs> this image because I'm silly. I picked this image that would make me laugh. And the image was, um, uh, I hate to say this, I don't know if I can say it. It's like scrub brush with bubbles. There's a, there's a big commercial in the U.S. with happy scrub brush and happy bubbles. And they clean the sink and they just love it. And I thought, well, now that's a fun image. And so I used that in my mind's eye, scrubbing away this little tumor. And I didn't think about it. I didn't give it any further thought. And two weeks later, uh, in the pre-op, I hear the doctor gasp. And I'm thinking, all right, Wendy, you're done for. <laughs> you know, whatever you did, it was wrong. <laughs> and she said, what did you do? I'm like, what happened? She said, it's half the size. It had gone from about the size of a nickel to the size of a pea in two weeks. And it wasn't that kind of tumor. It wasn't going to do that. So she was kind of blown away. I remember after the surgery, Sandy, I bought a copy of the book and I gave it to her. <laughs> oh, did she say anything afterwards? No, I didn't. I wasn't in touch with her after that, but she kind of looked at it and went, hmm, you know, I thought, okay, another doctor who might think about this. It's interesting. I don't know if I've shared this before, but that particular book at that particular time when it was published, yeah. I think he was in England. He oh. made a trip to England. He was completely unknown there. And I was working for a magazine and the editor said to me, oh, there's this guy called Deepak Chopra and he's written this book and would you like to go to it and interview him? And I went, yeah, <laughs> turned it down. <laughs> did you really? Oh, how funny. I did, I did. Oh, isn't that funny? Yeah, well, but you I, know, I regretted it when I read the book years later. <laughs> yeah, that book really um, caused a lot of waves, a lot of places. And because he was an MD talking about such esoteric spiritual information and how we are not just these mechanical bodies. I mean, he, he, another pioneer, you have to, you just have to give these people their, their kudos because, you know, regardless of what you think of the information, they change the world. <laughs> they change people's thinking. Absolutely, they do. Absolutely, yeah. they do. I wish I'd known that beforehand. I would have <laughs> definitely gone. <laughs> so book number six, another classic, um, Caroline Mace, Anatomy of the Spirit, The Seven Stages of Power and Healing, published in 1996. Well, most medical intuitives would point to that book as their, you know, kind of bellwether. And, you know, she's really the mother of this skill. She's not the first medical intuitive in the United States, but she is the first that really brought it to public awareness, along with Dr. Sheely. And these two people um, actually coined the term medical intuitive. It hadn't existed before then. Um, I remember reading her book. Actually, I didn't read her book. I was given her workshop cassettes of her book. Uh, either it was her workshop or it was her reading the book. I can't recall. But a friend of mine, and this was cassettes, right? So this was back then. <laughs> um, a friend of mine gave them to me and said, you've got you to listen to this because I think that you're doing this. Because <laughs> I was doing energy healing. I was kind of getting my feet wet, seeing into the body. I was just practicing. And I listened to those cassettes and I thought to myself, this is what I am. This is this is what I want to do in life. And I didn't follow that road for many, many years, but that book was really seminal in my, and pivotal in my awareness that there's actually a skill set, there's a name for it, and there's a practice for it, right? It was mm. really 
eye-opening and her stories are phenomenal. I mean, she really is. She's kind of the, I don't even know how to say this. She's the, the basis, I would say, of modern medical intuition, her work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely she is. Yeah, very interesting lady. It's um, interesting how you've got a list that's, you know, three quarters really real classics, well known. And then there's a couple thrown in that aren't so well known. Now, I had never heard of the next book, although everybody knows about the author, of course, Jane Roberts. Ah. And it was the Education of Oversoul Seven, which was a, a trilogy, fictional trilogy. Yeah. she wrote yeah this uh, was the first of three books and i read this before the other two books came out i think uh, maybe i just didn't know about them but this book blew my mind this is a phenomenal book written from the point of view of a higher self or higher soul an oversoul what a phenomenal idea right uh, we all think about the higher self the higher soul the higher power yeah. but do we think about their perspective no <laughs> And what was really wonderful about this book for me on a spiritual side is that it validated so much of what I was receiving from guidance over the years. Just this is what life is about. This is what time, present, past, future, all in one. You know, it's really, it really is sort of the definitive novel. And it's written as a story, which is so much fun. But it's sort of the definitive view of non-locality right mm, and higher yeah. perspective yeah. looking sort of how our soul so to speak or how our higher self works with us in human form in this space and time so i just love that book i hope you read it i hope you've read it sandy it is just i went right. looking for it you cannot find it as a single book but you can yeah. find the trilogy in one book um on amazon um yes. and it's available on kindle and it is the only book that's available on kindle oh that's yeah. interesting and i was looking at many of the other books um as well um so really interesting because i i peeked into the you know have a little look at the book now and um he actually gets to meet several incarnations of himself looking yes. backwards from the oversoul doesn't he yeah and communicate with them Yes. And what's wonderful, I'll give you your, your listeners a little hint, is that he's looking this oversoul, who also has an oversoul, by the way. <laughs> he's he's working, working with all of his human incarnations from different lifetimes in different time and space, right? And he's working with them all together in one space and time. And there's a point in the book, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, where they it, it's like you've read, the, and it's a, a very lovely story. All the characters are beautifully drawn. They're very compelling. And you get to this point in the book where it kind of starts to come together. Honestly, I got to that point in the book where they're talking about past, present, and future as singular, singular time, like non-locality. And I felt my mind just like, ooh, you know? Like, I think I just got something I hadn't known before. It was mm. wild. And I love that book. I actually asked my students to read it. It's just so perfect. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to have a look at that one. So number eight, um, again, um, a very famous couple who've done so much for the world. Jerry and Esther Hicks, Ask and It Is Given. Learning to Manifest Your Desires, published in 2004. Yeah, that again, another classic, and I'm sure it shows up on many lists. Um, the Abraham work. Not as many as you might think. Oh, often. really? 
Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. I consider the Abraham work to be pretty much the foundation of so yes. much of today's understanding, yes. law of attraction, you know, what manifestation is, which Richard Bach wrote about, you know, in illusions. <laughs> you know, this is not new information, but I think it was new to the public um, in terms of a movement or an idea that really captured people's imagination. Do Does my mind have the power to influence my reality? How can I manifest? And reading that material, it was challenging, honestly, because it challenges your own sense of your power, <laughs> what you actually can do in life, right? And, you know, everybody has a thought about it. Everybody has an opinion about it. Another book I really wanted to put on this list uh, was Man's Search for Meaning. I don't think I put it on the list. No, which you is didn't. The same idea of where we ever we are in life, what, what manifestation choices do we have? How can we affect our reality one way or another? Um, and Abraham Hicks really has the template for it, like the blueprint for it. You can listen to the material, you can read the books, you can practice it yourself, which I always encourage my students to do. Don't take my word for it. Don't take anyone's word for it. Practice it. See what happens. From that material, I used to, with a dear friend, teach abundance workshops based on law of attraction. And our students would come back with these fantastic stories about what they were able to manifest for themselves just by thinking about it, you know? So yeah. it's really profound work. Very, very much so. And and probably the best, the best of all that's emerged since, yeah. Yeah, I would agree, yeah. yeah. So number nine is called one of the four essential self-help books available today and regarded as the granddaddy of addiction tomes, codependent, no more, Melody Beattie originally published in 1987. Yeah, now that's a psychology book. And it, the reason it made my list is because number one, it was very important for me in my life um, with a number of other books that really helped me understand my emotional emotional motivations in life. Uh, you know, my history, my you know, my family life and what I brought to relationships. What a, what a fat, and her book is just so well-written and so easy to read too. Now, why I put it on the list also is because in my work as a medical intuitive, one of the things I look for, aside from the physical body stuff, which is what all medical intuitives would look for, you know, how it goes on, what's going on in the anatomy and the physiology, I'm also looking at life history. Now, life history has so much to it. It's so rich, but uh, the early life experiences, our early wounding, our early traumas, you could say, or traumatic life events, inform all of our ideas about who we are, how we are, what we can do, what we can't do, what kind of relationships we have, what kind of health we have, and that's where the medical intuitive part comes in. But it is so rich and so deep. When I read that book, it made me understand even more what I was already seeing in people's energy right? Why do people have trouble in relationships? Why can't they have a career they want? Why do they feel stuck or stifled? What are the beliefs that are going on in here? And she doesn't address it that way, but that's what it is. And what's really fascinating about that book is the research that's been done in psychology on adverse childhood experiences, right? They call them ACEs, where they found that early life traumatic events can lead to later life health issues that you wouldn't necessarily put together. 
you know, respiratory issues, cancer, yeah. diabetes, not just genetic things, but things that are triggered by trauma. Yeah. So that's really why I found that book so powerful for me personally, but also in the work that I do. It really validates it. Mm. Wow. It must have given a whole other dimension to your work. Well, you know, intuitives and psychics, you could say, have been seeing into people's life stories since, you know, there have been intuitives and psychics because you can't have, it's the whole mind-body connection. When there's a body issue, there's a mental, emotional, and spiritual root to it as well. Yeah. And that's what we look for is not just the physical, but all those other aspects. And it all has to do with our life experience. It just does, you know. So there you go. Mm. Well, what do you think? about the notion that we choose our life experiences and well, how does that play out <laughs> <laughs> well that's the spiritual side and again mm. uh neil donald walsh's books <laughs> you know so many books that talk about what happens between our lifetimes you know what happens in the akashic records what happens what does all this what does all this mean on a spiritual level why did i choose my family why did i if, if that's if that's what we choose to believe that we actually made a conscious choice from our higher perspective what is the lesson here and that's yeah. really where people that's the information that seems to be the most wanted in a medical intuition session why did this manifest why did i choose this why did this happen and what do i need to know for my own spiritual development to move forward it's really quite deep you know? Mm. And do people come back to you afterwards and give you a report on what you I, said and what they did? <laughs> Sometimes they do. And when they do, it's always delightful and it's always fa just fascinating for me. And those become, you know, the anecdotal stories that um, that I've shared in my book and mm. that people share and the thousands of anecdotal stories that medical intuitives have uh, over the years about how this work has really been the turning point for so many people in their health journeys uh, and their emotional and spiritual journeys as well. And of course, your book, your new book, shows us how we can do it for ourselves. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We, we do want that skill set to be able to have that intuitive conversation with our own physical bodies, our own biofields, mm -hmm. our chakra systems. That's self-healing at its best, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, number 10 on your list is Reinventing Medicine Beyond Mind-Body to a New Era of Healing, Larry Dossie. And we really are in a new era of healing, aren't we? Well, we're moving towards it. And I would say the, you know, the last, what, 40, 50 years of mind-body understanding has helped us get to this point where medicine, uh, conventional medicine, is actually um, considering... <laughs> Uh, you know, mind-body practices. And actually that not just considering, the VA in the United States, the Veterans Administration, actually has an entire program on mind-body practices. They are way ahead of the curve. And uh, in the United States, the National Institutes of Health have a, a section, uh, you know, a department uh, called Complementary and Integrative Health. So they are looking into and researching all of these phenomenal mind-body practices for the efficacy of them. And they're finding that it's effective, you know. So we are we are really entering what Larry Dossie calls Era Three Medicine. Uh, now this book, now Mr. Dossie has written, Dr. Dossie, I should say, <laughs> he's an MD, has written so many books about non-locality, and this is actually one of his earlier books. And I went back to it um, 
to read what he said about medicine specifically. And he has a lot of stories about intuitive medicine. Uh, and actually, I was very lucky and blessed to have him endorse the book. He's got the quote on the cover. And I did an interview with him for the book and really queried him about this era three idea. <laughs> and era three medicine, he writes about, uh, is the synthesis of intuition, healing, energy, biofield healing, and conventional ideas of medicine with this expanded view. And he's held this concept for decades, this man. Uh, he really is that visionary. I recommend it. I actually asked my students to read it too. It is so powerful and so right on. And he was one of the first to really talk about medical intuition, uh, mm. you know, kind of in a comprehensive way as well. Yeah, yeah. His, his books are um, something apart. Yes, they are. He's, we're lucky that, to have him and to have him promoting these ideas. Mm, indeed. And it needs more people with credentials to, to come forth so that people begin to understand this isn't, you know, woo-woo. It's not. This is real. Well, it, for my book, I was very blessed to interview not only Dr. Dossie, but other MDs uh, who are very aligned with this notion, very um, supportive of medical intuition. And they want to see this uh, start to, to be used uh, openly <laughs> in, um, in healthcare. So I, I mean, Dr. Dossie was one, Dr. Gladys McGarry was another, she's considered the mother of holistic medicine, um, and many others who just step forward to say, we love this topic, we want this topic, we want to work directly with medical intuitives in our practices. Yes. And, and, you know, it was really quite gratifying to see that. Mm, yeah. Well, that's your 10 books. Now tell <laughs> me about your new book, Essentials of Medical Intuition, A Visionary Path to Wellness. What is your, um, what is your aim, your goal with this book? Well, I wrote this book um, to bring the research and the scientific perspective to the degree that I could. I'm not a scientist, I'm not an MD, I'm none of that. But because I have worked with doctors for so long and many medical intuitives have, uh, I wanted this skill to be understood by healthcare, by the folks in healthcare, anyone uh, from any perspective, so they can understand that this skill is valuable and needed um, in the clinical setting, you know, so that patients can have and clients can have the value of it because I've seen the value of it in my own career. People are able to take this information to their doctors. They're able to get more help in ways that they weren't before because I've had a conversation with their body and their biofield and their history and all that. And I've been able to impart that information. They've been able to take that to get the help they need, right? So that's the, in a nutshell, the skill of medical intuition and why I wrote the book. I wanted that there to be, I wanted to take it out of the woo-woo realm as best I could, right? And show the science behind intuition, the science of intuition in healthcare already, the science that I've been able, the study that I've been able to, to um, of perform and the, that you mentioned it was published and anything prior to that, including the history of this wonderful skill, which, you know, nobody's really written a lot about. So I wanted to include that as well. Mm. It's a really, really good book. Oh, Sandy, And I mean that I read 
you know, God knows how many books, I couldn't count them. But this one, um, it is so good that I've already been sending copies to other people. Um, Thank you. Yeah, well done. Um, and very much needed. Um, tell me a little bit about how you moved into this arena, because you were a musician, probably yeah. still are, producer, yeah. composer. Yeah. Um, what made you tip? <laughs> What 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 tipped the balance for me? Um, so my background, if anyone looks me up online, is they'll find a lot of my history in music. I, I grew up in Los Angeles. I was a musician for many, many years, a singer, songwriter, and performer, and also a, a composer for television and film. And I worked in the music business for a long time. And this was like my secret hidden life. <laughs> <laughs> all of this energy work and intuitive work it was it was you know just my interest so and that was an interest from the time I was quite young you know it was just always something that came to me I was that little kid who was like speaking to dead grandma you know telling my mother oh grandma told me this well I don't think so you know um, but uh, that was always an interest to me and something I pursued I ended up um, studying and um, becoming an energy healer. And in that work, I noticed that I had this sort of expanded visual sense that many of my colleagues didn't. They were doing their energy work. They might feel things. I could see things, you know, I saw right into somebody's broken ribs and I'll never forget that. It's like, okay. <laughs> and I could also see what happened and how that happened and why it happened and a lot of information. So in my energy healing work, which is about shifting energy, I would notice that even you know with those insights some people would come back again and again with the same issue and they wouldn't be able to release it so i was getting these hits all the time right we call them sort of intuitive hits or flashes of insight and i decided i was going to try something new i was going to find out if i could from my intuitive this expanding on that could i find out why they weren't healing could i find out what was blocking them that was my first instinct you know, I want, they wanted to move things. They wanted to shift things and let things go. And I wanted as a healer, that's my job, but if they couldn't let it go, why not? <laughs> so I started expanding on this idea of intuitive, um, just looking at their biofield and their physiology, their anatomy energetically first, before I even did any of my energy work. And those sessions were fascinating because people were saying, oh, this information is, I, no one's ever said this before. You know, no one's ever put two and two together before. And then after that session, I would give them a healing and they were able to let things go like nobody's business. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, and so they were able to move their own energy by hearing what yes. their body wanted them to know. Now that was profound. And when I realized that I stopped I didn't stop doing energy healing, but I moved away from it and started cultivating what is what I came to understand was medical intuition, being able to have a conversation, you know, with your kidney or your liver or your immune system or whatever, and your whole historical data. That's medical intuition. And, um, you know, there was a point at which I realized that I needed to teach this to doctors because doctors would call me and say, hey, can you, on the slide, can you look at this, right? Don't talk about it with their colleagues, but can you look at this patient because this is difficult, they're not healing, I don't know what to do. And that happened over and over again. I'm like, you know what, you should know how to do this <laughs> because it's great that you're calling me, but what if all of your colleagues openly accepted this? What if I could come into your clinic and work with you? How valuable would that be?
So that also kind of started the ball rolling for me to want to teach this to healthcare professionals. And that's what I do now. So most of the doctors were not reluctant oh. to come out of the closet. They were happy to. Well, you know, I teach wellness professionals, so that is a broad range. I teach nurses, I teach mental health care, I teach MDs, the brave ones. <laughs> uh, there's more and more MDs coming, DOs, um, and pretty much anyone from, you know, a health coach who's working with clients to, you know, a, a medical doctor who's working in the hospital. Um, these are the people who really are interested in this. And um, also our graduates are working with healthcare professionals now, which is really exciting. I mean, <laughs> this is really, in my opinion, going to change, help to change the paradigm that we're dealing with now, which is really pretty unworkable in many ways. Yes, indeed. I mean, you've got an accredited certification program, Medical Intuitive Training, and do you help anybody? I mean, you train anybody? Do they no. have any you know, qualifications? Yeah, so the program is accredited through several organizations, including the National Acupuncture, the NCCAOM. I won't give you all the alphabet soup, but it's accredited for nurses, acupuncturists, chiropractors, health coaches, and we're working on other CE for continuing education. Uh, so there's that opportunity, but I teach wellness professionals. And again, that's a broad range uh, and it, uh, allows these people to bring this skill into their clinical setting, right? So that's the exciting part to me. And so I stopped teaching lay people a long time ago because it made more sense to me that the skill be used in our existing paradigm of healthcare to help really move things forward. Yeah. Yeah, now, yeah. I will say, just so those who are listening don't get discouraged, I do teach a workshop that is open to anyone and everyone who wants to create that mind-body connection. And in my book, there's a whole chapter on these skills. And in the workshop, it's called Medical Intuition for Healing. Uh, and that workshop gives you hands-on experience and really opening that line of communication. You get to talk to your body and, and pay attention to it. It'll tell you all kinds of things. <laughs> It will indeed. It will indeed. I've done it. Yeah. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, it is quite surprising what you can learn. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, when things pop up that you never would have considered, then you've got some proof. Well, here's what I say. The body has its own logic. Our, our logical minds, you know, we think very linearly and A plus B must equal C or one, two, you know, all that. But the body doesn't have that kind of logic. It has a very different kind. And you're absolutely right those connections may not make sense, uh, but to the body, they make perfect sense. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, in America, the health system is quite different than it is in the UK. And in yeah. the UK, as many people well know, it, it is falling apart at the seams. You know, it's just uh, reaching an impossible place. And mm. I think it's got to be rebuilt. And in that rebuilding, we really do have to bring the integrative into it. Um, do you ever get any approaches uh, from this part of, you know, the waters? Well, I'm I'm very pleased to say that my book was published by Watkins Publishing, a UK I know them uh, well, publisher. Yeah. They're wonderful, and. Um, I think everybody has been hoping <laughs> that the book makes some inroads in uh, England and other parts of the world. So 
um, I'm with you. I have, I, I, my clients come from all over the world and so do my students. So I hear about other healthcare systems and the problems within them. Um, and you know, the U S is no walk in the park either. It's very challenging for people. So I think all of healthcare really, um, in the Western world needs to be revised and looked at. And these, in this idea of integrative medicine, that's what we're talking about. Integrating with, con and, and I'm not against conventional healthcare. We need surgeries. We need drugs. We need life-saving skills. Mm -hmm. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. What it's missing is the idea of, um, well, you could call it um, the non-local consciousness part. You know, we're not just these mechanical things walking around. We have biofields. We have a mind that influences the body. We have a life history. So we absolutely, medicine, I mean, I'm with Larry Dossie on this one. Medicine mm. needs to move into this new era and, um, and really start to take into account. And I'll tell you what, Sandy, I am very hopeful Good, good. I'm very hopeful. Uh, I'm hopeful because in the United States, integrative medicine is growing. Uh, there's another school of thought, which is called functional medicine, which is also growing. And that's taking into account, um, you know, your environment, your, your childhood, your life, your, mm -hmm. how you think. So all of these things are, excuse me, all of these things are critical to us understanding what health really means. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, um, is this something that you find can be a skill that's intrusive? You know, can you just switch it off and ignore it? Um, yeah. Does it come it, at you at odd times and you have to keep your mouth shut? You know, it used to. It used to. I used to walk into a room and go, okay, you know, don't eat cheddar cheese and you need more sleep. And, you know, it's like, it's, <laughs> that is as intrusive as it gets. I don't do that. I find that actually unethical. <laughs> Uh, and I've had to teach myself and learn about, as any energy person should do, what good ethics is, what our scope of practice is. And that's another thing I wanted to bring forth in the book. Um, you know, I've learned this over the years. I've worked with some of the most wonderful uh, leaders in this area of spiritual ethics. And that is incredibly important for medical intuitives and energy healers to understand and when my years coming up i didn't see a lot of that going on i saw a lot of overstepping and um we don't want that you know we want this to be treated uh, like any ethical practice hmm. do you ever i mean have you ever uh monitored somebody who might have a health issue like cancer and as they're taking something like chemo, being able to see the effect that that is having on their body? What a great question, Sandy. Really, I would love to be able to do that. And um, that would be a really good subject for a study. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I'm very, and this is the first people are going to hear of this, but I'm very pleased to say that after the research that we did in um, 2019, which was published in 2020, uh, there was a lot of interest in medical intuition, and I'll tell you why. That was the first published study in over 20 years on medical intuition, and our results, and I won't go into it unless you want me to, but our results were oh, 90. Please do. <laughs> oh, let me give you a little thumbnail. Um, when I looked into the history of the research on medical intuition, and you'll see this in the book, there's like nothing. That's not true. There are some, and some of them were done, you know, I think the last one was done in 1997 or something or 2000, 
Uh, it's been over 20 years. Um, and most of them are inconclusive. And some of them are just, you know, like bad, you know, not good results. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons for that is that um, medical intuition has been kind of a, you know, you either have it or you don't, or you've studied with a mentor. You know, where's been a program where people can really learn this other than Carolyn Mace's and she's not teaching anymore, which was really one of the reasons I started my program. I couldn't find anywhere to study. <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yes. So the studies that have been done have been inconclusive at best, although promising, very promising. So when I looked at all this, I'm like, you know, my graduates are getting, you know, we're, we know we're getting good results. The, they have to fill out case reports. They do practicum work. I mean, they do a lot of hours and we keep records of all of it. And the results have been phenomenal. So we thought, okay, let's try this. So we put together a survey and I say we, meaning myself, and uh, some of my colleagues at University of California, San Diego, who were interested in helping me develop a survey for this. And we just decided to use five of my graduates and whoever in the community wanted to participate. Uh, we did have a nice small cohort, but some of the people, we had 67 participants, and some of them were from the UCSD Medical Center, which we were really pleased about. But we had no access to their medical records, so we needed to do this blind, which is how we work anyway. We work blind. We, we don't have any prior knowledge. Um, the medical intuitives gave everybody a session. They, we always have our eyes closed. It's an eyes closed process. Again, no information other than their name. Uh, and what we got was uh, the results were 94% uh, accuracy in the evaluation and location of their primary health issue, which is kind of blew us all away. 94% yeah. accuracy, no prior information, nothing, no visual cues, none of that stuff. The other, uh, we also had 98% accuracy in the description of life experience that may have led to this health issue. The, the participants said, yes, that was, that was either that happened or it was possible or probable. That was a phenomenal result. Um, the other, and there were many, many more results, which I talk about in the book, but the other one I want to point out was we asked them, uh, do you have a known diagnosis? Remember, we don't have access to their medical records, and about half of them did. Uh, in the session, we asked, how consistent was your medical intuitive with that known diagnosis? Now, I want to point out, medical intuitives do not diagnose. We don't use that kind of language. We're not saying you have this. What we're describing is how the body physiology and anatomy is reacting. That information is what could potentially a doctor could use to diagnose, right? So we don't do that, we describe. So mm -hmm. in those descriptions, the participants said, yes, they are 94% consistent with my the understanding of my known medical diagnosis. Now, that result perked all of the doctor's ears up. They're like, excuse me, what? Because <laughs> that's not so anecdotal. That's like, okay, you know, if we had your records, we could corroborate that. So. Um, that was the study that was published in Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine. And because of that study, uh, in that exploratory qualitative study, um, we have the opportunity now to partner with a very well-known um, prominent research organization in the U.S. to further study this. And we're hoping to do some definitive studies and to see how it can work in the field. And what you mentioned, Sandy, I know I'm long-winded here, but what you mentioned about following the body's progress is something that I has been 
um, brought forward in terms of COVID and long COVID. Uh, so what you just described as a new thought, and I will definitely bring it forward, it, it really is where medical intuition can help because we see connections that um, medical science may not make, and that's very common. I mean, mm. I was seeing things before there were even term medical terms for it in the public awareness. I saw them in people's bodies. What does that tell you? That tells you that we can be in research, we can be in healthcare. You know, there's a lot of places we can contribute. Absolutely. I mean, you think about um, cancer treatment as it is right now with immunotherapy. They are making incredible strides with um, genes, looking at your genes and seeing whether something, you know, is going to work for you or not. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, how much better would it be if you could actually confirm that, you know, this chemo yeah. is not going to work for that person, but hey, that mix might well, what I loved about writing this book uh, was that the doctors that came forward have basically painted the picture. If if medical, if we could bring medical intuitives into healthcare, that would save so much. Well, from their perspective, time and money, <laughs> mm, yeah. um, because we can we can look and see what could potentially work, and we can help them create the diagnosis that might be accurate. So. You know, and, and one of the things I'm so excited about, I have to share, is in Chapter 5, uh, a wonderful doctor named Dr. Mary Cohen. She's a New York um, doctor. She's an integrative health MD. And she actually works with a medical intuitive in her practice. And I was so honored to speak with her and have her and her medical intuitive describe what they do. Because their model is what I've done under the radar with doctors forever, but not with the patient in the room. So the three people get together, Dr. Cohen, her medical intuitive, and the patient, and they work wow. together, really. The patients love it. They find that combination so valuable, so potent, and their healing stories are phenomenal. And I was able to interview three of them and for the book. It's just a mind blower what, what can be done. So I was really happy to see that because I said to Dr. Cohen, this is what we want. Well, when you think about the placebo effect and, you know, they know the pretty much the accuracy of it, which and I think it's actually being studied now at one of the major universities. Oh, um, a lot. Yes. yes. And not before time. I mean, how they could have ignored that is, you know, ridiculous. <laughs> but if you if you think about being able to tell someone, you know, describe what's happening, describe what they could do, then having that in their head you've already convinced them that you can do this now they're going to pay even more attention and have even more belief in what you're saying that they can do the efficacy of it and uh, that's going to increase the placebo effect you know, <laughs> you know i know it's always hilarious to me when people denigrate this work as the quote placebo and uh, what do you think the placebo effect is yeah. it's incredibly powerful and the studies that they're doing at harvard and duke university and all these i mean the major educational medical organizations in the country they're finding the efficacy is you know i think the one i saw was like 72 percent effective over well what does that mean right it means that our our belief systems our beliefs about health inform our health of course right i mean this is what we've been talking about all 
you know, in, in our interview here, all of these wonderful books that have talked about this for decades, mm -hmm. right? So it's time that medicine gets on, you know, gets on the truck here, on the train <laughs> and starts to acknowledge it. And I will tell you that the way to do that, the way to get to medical science is through science. Yes, of course, uh, and of course. It's the only way. So the we need way. we need more science to yes. prove this. And it's challenging to prove non-local practices <laughs> scientifically, although um, according to Dr. Dossi and, I, and Dean, Dr. Dean Radin and all these wonderful people have been studying it for decades, mm. of course it's provable. There's, yes. in, you know, irrefutable evidence, yes. but we have to get people to notice it. So how do we do that? You know, that's the challenge of our time. So... Could you uh, use your skills to tell us how far down the road we <laughs> may see this, you know, becoming a reality? Oh, you're so sweet. Um, I'll tell you one thing. I don't look at, I don't look at, I don't do fortune telling. <laughs> what you're asking about is precognition, which I mm. love. And, you know, just about any intuitive person will say, well, you know, I knew that was going to happen. Um, and when I look forward, I will tell you this, from my perspective, working in the healthcare world with doctors, teaching doctors, teaching nurses, teaching healthcare professionals, I can tell you that we are really on the cusp of having this work be legitimized. And yes. to that end, in the United States, I and a, a group of uh, professional medical intuitives have created an organization. We just got our nonprofit status called the National Organization for Medical Intuition. And our our vision and mission is to bring this work into clinical healthcare so that doctors uh, can understand it and so that their teams can utilize it. We want medical intuitives as part of the healthcare team. Yes. And when we have that, when we know that we can start to make inroads there, then we'll start to see some shifting uh, and you know, bring it out from the shadows, really. It's been in the closet for so long. It's not that there haven't been medical intuitives in the ER, on the, in the hospital. They're all there. The nurses are there. The doctors are there. But they're not talking about it. So we want to open the conversation up. Well, thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing. And just by, you know, creating the organization and founding it, you are grounding this. And you are setting a very strong intention. And <laughs> we know what intention can do. We're hopeful. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. I heartily recommend everybody read your book. I mean, it really is one of those books that makes me sit up and take notice and one of those little rewards that come after reading lots of books that are, you know, not quite so interesting. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy Coulter. Thank you, Sandy. What a pleasure. I really appreciate your endorsement too. It means a lot. And thank you for sharing your 10 best spiritual books and adding them to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's library of recommendations. Um, you can learn more about Wendy Coulter's work and books at her website, thepracticalpath.com. And if you want to know about her musician, composing, <laughs> producing career, you can also check out wendycoulter.com. Oh, you are so sweet. <laughs> thank you for that. And I look forward to interviewing you again on what is going on when we can go deeper into your book. Perfect. I look forward to that too. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you. And if you're looking for your next life-changing read or would love to know which books inspired your favorite authors, teachers, speakers, and researchers on their spiritual paths, check out the 10 Best Spiritual Books Library and watch our videos with contributors like Wendy Coulter 
uh, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., Lee Harris, Dan Millman, Penny Pierce, Matthew Fox, John Perkins, David Primal, and many, many more at sedgebeer.com, where you can also sign up for the No BS Spiritual Book Club's newsletter. And finally, if you feel you have a book in you, but you don't know how to begin getting it out of your head and into the hands of those who are waiting to read it, click on the Work With Me tab and find out how my experience helping others tell their stories might be just what you're looking for. That brings us to the end of this week's show. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer, and I'll be back at the same time next week with another edition of the 10 Best Spiritual Books interview series. Till then, it's goodbye from me.